The following message was recorded at Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. For more information and resources from Shades Valley, please visit us at shadesvalley.org. Our scripture reading for this morning is from Revelation chapter 6. It's actually going to be Revelation 6, 12 through Revelation 8, 5. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, and the great ones, and the generals, and the rich, and the powerful, and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God, and he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm earth and sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000, sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. 12,000 from the tribe of Judah were sealed, 12,000 from the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 from the tribe of Gad, 12,000 from the tribe of Asher, 12,000 from the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000 from the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000 from the tribe of Simeon, 12,000 from the tribe of Levi, 12,000 from the tribe of Issachar, 12,000 from the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000 from the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 from the tribe of Benjamin were sealed. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. When the lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning. And an earthquake. This is the word of the Lord. So I do invite you to open to Revelation 6. Uh, the last time that we were together, we went through verses 1 through 11, and we saw Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, begin to break 
the seven seals that, that are on this scroll. This scroll, that once it's unrolled, we've said it's going to reveal to us how God's people will ultimately conquer and how God's kingdom will ultimately come. So we've got this this vision of the sovereign lamb with all of history in his hands. And as we saw him break the first four seals, we got a gruesome picture of what much of our history has looked like. Conquest, bloodshed, famine, death. As he breaks those four seals, these four horsemen that could be named these things, they, they ride forth galloping across the face of this earth, bringing great tribulation. Tribulation that Jesus promised all of his followers would face. From the day of Jesus' resurrection until the day of his return, we live in that space of what we would call the church age of the last days. This is what the New Testament defines as the last days. They begin with the resurrection of Jesus. They continue until his return. It's the last days of the church age, days that will be of great tribulation for all of God's people. Thus, when the fifth seal was broken, we got a glimpse of some of those who had already suffered, martyrs in heaven before the throne of God. And they cried out with a question that echoes in all of our hearts. How long, O Lord? Like, how long, God, will you let the four horsemen stampede across creation and trample under hoof your people? How long until you return to make all things right, to bring redemption to completion with a new creation? How long until God does something? And we saw God answer, I am am doing something and i will do something i am doing something in other words like like birth pains are doing something to bring about new life so also our sovereign god has his hands on the reins of those four horsemen and through all the pain they bring he is doing something he's promised us we can trust him he's doing something that will bring about a new creation He is doing something, and he will do something. He will one day return to banish all wrongdoing, all wrongdoers, to set all things right. And we get a glimpse of that coming day with the breaking of seal 6. Look at it with me. Revelation 6 and verse 12. When he, that's the lamb, when he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, And the sun became as black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood. And the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that's being rolled up. And every mountain and island was removed from its place. We get a sevenfold naming of creation. In other words, this thing is cosmic in scope. It includes all of creation. This cosmic quake. Ever, ever since Exodus chapter 19, Exodus 19, when God visited his people at Mount Sinai, and he, he did so in peals of thunder, flashes of lightning, and a shaking of the whole mountain. Ever since that event, the authors of Scripture have used the earth shaking as a symbol of of God coming amongst his people. And thus, when you read throughout the prophets, they envision God's final coming to set up his forever kingdom as a cosmic quake, a cosmic shaking that doesn't just shake the earth, but shakes the heavens itself, rends creation asunder to make way for new creation. Joel 2, verse 31, describes it like this. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Isaiah 34 says the stars will fall like figs from a a tree and the sky will split, it will roll up like a scroll. Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Nahum, they all speak about mountains and islands fleeing from the coming presence of God. All of that language is wrapped up here together in Revelation 6. Not, not to give us a literal description of how the world ends. That's not the point. The point is that Jesus is coming again. 
this is all symbolic second coming language. And it's all here. We, we, we know it's not meant to be taken extremely literalistically. People are about to hide in the mountains, the mountains that were just all removed. Like if you press the language too hard, it falls apart. It's, it's communicating the truth. This is all second coming language. And, and here in the sixth seal, this is Jesus coming to make all things new. Old creation passing away, and along with it go all who have worshipped this world and clung to it as their source of security. Look at verse 15. Then the kings of the earth, the great ones and the generals, the rich and the powerful, and everyone slave and free, sevenfold description of the people of the earth, all. They hid themselves in caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who's seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? These people, their security is stripped away. Everything they've ever grasped and held onto, be it money, property, possession, whatever, it's stripped away. Everything they have worshipped within this creation is stripped away. Their idolatry is exposed, so they run and hide and try to cover themselves. Does that sound like a familiar story? Sin exposed, so we run, we hide and try to cover ourselves. Humans haven't changed since the very beginning. This is the story of what our first parents did, Adam and Eve. When their sin was exposed, they ran, hid, they tried to cover themselves. If you remember, there was no adequate covering that could ever be found for them except one that comes from God's hand himself. God covers them through sacrifice. He covers them with an animal skin, and he's done the same thing for us. God has graciously made a covering for all of our sin through the sacrifice of His Lamb, Jesus Christ. And seal 6 is showing us the final fate of all who refuse to be covered by the blood of the Lamb. Of all who seek some other kind of covering. There is no covering in all of creation to protect them from God's righteous, good, and loving wrath against sin. Yes, you heard that correctly. I said his righteous, good, and loving wrath. This is what God's love, what God's wrath is. It's a function of his love. God is not wrathful in and of himself. He is love in and of Himself. You rewind the clock in eternity past to where you've got nothing but the triune God. You've got love. You don't have wrath. Wrath is the response of God's love to sin. God loves His world. He will do good. He will make things right again. And when God's love collides with rebellion, we call it wrath. It's, it's, it's just like when my love for my kids collides with someone doing them wrong. What does my love for my children look like in that situation? My love is expressed in wrath. And that's right. That's good. That's loving. And here we see that rebels who've refused to be covered by the blood of the Lamb, they collide with the righteous, good, and loving wrath of God when He returns. Thus, in verse 17, they cry out with a question. We've seen a question coming from the saints back in verses 10 and 11. How long, O Lord? Now the lost have a question of their own. Who can stand? Who can stand in the presence of the Lamb? Who can stand in the end? And as soon as that question is asked, all of a sudden the action pauses so that that question might be answered. That's not what we expect to happen next. What we expect next is the breaking of the seventh seal. Right? 
final judgment to come to a conclusion, new creation be brought about. But instead of the breaking of the seventh seal, chapter 7 breaks into the action as an interlude in order to answer the question, who can stand? Now, we've got to understand, the original hearers of this book, they, they would have heard it read out loud. You think we heard a lot? They would have heard it read out loud in a single sitting from start to finish. It would have been like hearing a drama unfold. And so they, even more than we, would have felt this interlude, this pause. They would have heard read to them seal one, seal two, three, four, five, six, interlude. You feel that? We're supposed to. So on purpose, we know that because it's going to happen again when we get to the next cycle of seven with the seven trumpets. We're going to get trumpet one, two, three, four, five, six. Interlude. Seal seven, trumpet seven, final judgment, final conclusion. It keeps getting delayed. We feel that every day, do we not? God, when are you going to bring this thing to a good conclusion? When are you going to come? How long, O oh Lord? These delays remind us of the question that echoes in the hearts of God's people. How long, O oh Lord? Like the lost may be asking who can stand in the end, but I'm left asking how are we going to make it till then? Like, how long is this going to stay? How are we, the people of God, supposed to hold on for so long in a world where the four horsemen ride free? How, how are we supposed to hang? Like, do, do we not feel this reality here in 2020? And Lord, how are we supposed to hold on through pandemics and polarized politics? How, how are we supposed to hold on through Racism and injustice? How, how are we supposed to hold on through explosions in Beirut and so much senseless suffering? Through all the wars, through all the blood, through all the tears, how are we supposed to hold on until you come again? The lost may be asking who can stand at the end. But I'm left asking, how are we going to make it until then? And Shades, Revelation 7 responds to the cry of both of those questions. This is why I love this book. This book is a balm to our soul. It's not meant to make us a basket case. It's meant to comfort, to edify, to build up, to strengthen, to show you how to conquer. Revelation hears the cry of your heart. And it responds by revealing how. How are we going to hold on that long? It responds by revealing how we are going to conquer in Christ. Both interludes that I have mentioned, the one between seal 6 and 7, the one between trumpet 6 and 7, both of those interludes are revelations about how God's people conquer. Like In other words, right in the midst of everything crazy going on, while the second coming of Christ isn't here yet, we long for it, but it's not, right in the midst of that, here's how you conquer. We're going to focus in for the rest of our time on this first interlude in chapter 7 that we might hear and see who can stand in the end and how are we going to make it until then. Read with me. Revelation 7, starting in verse 1. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth holding back the four winds of the earth that no wind might blow on the earth or the sea or against any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God, and he called with a loud voice to the four angels who'd been given power to harm earth and sea, saying, do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. Four angels at four corners 
holding back four winds. Remember, four is symbolic in Revelation for worldwide. In other words, they are holding back worldwide judgment. I think, I think they're holding back the four horsemen we saw in seals one through four. I think that, I know it says winds, I think that because the Old Testament background of this imagery is Zechariah chapter 6. And if you go back to Zechariah chapter 6, the four horsemen there are said to ride on the four winds. In other words, John is seeing that before the four horsemen ride, Before the Lamb breaks a single seal, He is at work sealing His servants. And goes on and puts in your mind that there's a protective element going on here. Before those horsemen can go trampling, I'm going to seal some of those that He's going to trample upon in order to protect them from something. This seal, it's it's not an art animal like seal. It's, It's a... It's like a, sorry, it's not in my notes. That's just me being me. Um, it's, a, it's a wax seal. Like you, you melt a little bit of wax and then you make an impression in it, maybe with a signet ring or your own unique uh, seal. If you've ever received a letter from me, then you know that I seal my letters with wax seals because I'm dorky like that. I'd be perfectly at home working at a Renaissance festival. I'm just telling you, like, I like feather quills and parchment and the whole nine yards. I would love to dress up like a knight and joust, but my back won't do it. But that's beside the point. Again, not in my notes. I'm confessing too much. But my seal is just a big letter H, and it's got my last name, Hafes, embedded in it. But seals like this uh, were more common. They weren't just a dorky thing. They were common in antiquity. They were a way of protecting the contents of a document. Kind of like the way we put seals on food to protect the contents of those packages so you know it hasn't been opened. They were a way of protecting the contents of a document. Or they, they could be a way of certifying the power that a document had. If I'm the king and I I draft an edict, I might seal it with my unique signet ring to show this has my power backing it. It's a way of protecting the contents of a document. It's a way of of certifying the power a document had. And it could also be a way of indicating something you owned, something you had possession of. Seal a court document, seal a deed, seal a, a will. It was a way of showing this is something that belongs to you. Protection, power, possession. That's exactly what we see in the sealing of God's servants. First, protection. The Old Testament background for the image that you're seeing right here is Ezekiel chapter 9. If you go back and read that in Ezekiel 9, the prophet Ezekiel sees a vision of God marking his faithful servants on their forehead in order to protect them from coming judgment. It's abundantly clear, explicitly clear in Ezekiel 9. And right here in Revelation 6, judgment, remember, is being held back so that the servants might be sealed, protected. But that begs the question, protected from what? From physical harm? From being trampled by these four horses once they're released? That cannot be the case. We know that's not the case because all we have to do is go back to chapter 6 and verse 11 where we've already seen some martyrs who've been trampled. And when they cry out, how long? Do you remember the answer that they're given from God? How long they have to wait? You've got to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. We're about to be told the number of their fellow servants. Number of their fellow servants who are to be killed. The very ones who've been Sealed are the ones who are going to be killed. The the protection this sealing provides cannot be physical. It must be spiritual. It must be a protection that provides power. 
power to persevere as the winds of the four horsemen blow across this world. Power to persevere in faith when everything in this world tries to trample it out and destroy it. Power to cling to Christ all the way through this life, even if that means the ending of your life. The seal provides power for it is nothing less than the seal of the Holy Spirit himself. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. You're sealed with the Holy Spirit of God. Why? As a guarantee, you're going to make it. It's a kind of protection. Not a physical protection, but a spiritual one. The seal of God is the Spirit of God. Shades, when, when you believed in Christ... You were filled with the Holy Spirit of God in order for Him to empower you every step of the way until you arrive before God Himself in the end. The Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. For He is the seal that proves God has acquired possession of us. The seal is protection, the seal is power, and the seal is proof of possession. The fact that you are filled with the Holy Spirit is proof that God possesses you as His own. This this aspect of the seal, that it's possession, ownership, it's symbolized by the fact that it's placed on the forehead of God's servants. In the Old Testament, the high priest wore a turban. And right there, front and center on that turban was a gold plate Does anybody know what it said? It said, holy to the Lord. The high priest literally bore the very name of God on his forehead as a mark that he belonged to the Lord. A mark of possession. Do you know what we're going to learn about this seal that's placed on these people's foreheads? In Revelation chapter 14 and verse 1, we are going to learn that it is nothing less than the name of our triune God. Just like the high priest had the name of the Lord to show that the Lord possessed him, this seal is the name of the Lord our God, showing that we are priests set apart for his possession. Protection, power, possession, sealed. These are the servants who can stand before God because they have been sealed to make it to the end. And there is a specific number of them. Look at verse 4. And I heard the number of the sealed. 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. 12,000 from the tribe of Judah were sealed. 12,000 from Reuben. 12,000 from Gad. And yeah, we're going to trust John in his reading of that. We'll stop right there. On and on it goes. 12,000 from 12 tribes, 144,000 servants of God. Now, there is no end to what people think this number means. Some, like the Jehovah's Witnesses, take it very literalistically, meaning that this must be some kind of special class of Christians, 144,000 of them. However, If you're going to be that overly literalistic, then you've got to be that overly literalistic when this group is talked about again in Revelation chapter 14 and verse 4, where they are all identified as sexually pure men. I don't buy it. Some think that this refers to 144,000 ethnic Jewish people who will be saved in the last days. After all, 12,000 come from each tribe. However, we have seen time and time again, Revelation uses numbers and Old Testament imagery symbolically. And it makes sense to me that that is precisely what is happening here. The language of these verses echoes Old Testament military census language. Taking a census account of the men to see how many fighting men there are. This even makes sense of why the language of sexually pure men these people have to be in Revelation 14 and verse 4. Uh, Because when the military was supposed to go off to war in the Old Testament, one, it had to be made up of men, but two, they had to abstain from sexual activity before they go off to war. 
This is the language of a military census. In other words, this is a counting of the army of God. And it's a full army. Four horsemen of evil are about to be released. On the other side, we've got the full army of God. It's a full army because it's from all 12 tribes. We've already seen again and again in Revelation the number 12 used to represent the full people of God over and over. And from these 12 tribes, we get 12,000. 1,000 in, in its multiples in Revelation means big, huge, full. So we've got all the soldiers from all 12 tribes. We have all the army of God. This army is nothing less than all the people of God, the church. And this is precisely what we should expect this number to symbolize based off of what God told the martyrs back in Revelation chapter 6. Do you remember we read it a minute ago? Revelation 6 and verse 11, he tells the martyrs to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, should be complete. And now John hears the number of God's servants, of his brothers and sisters who will be spiritually protected through the entirety of the last days, empowered to make it all the way home until they stand before God fully and finally as His forever possession. The 144,000 are the full people of God throughout all time, Jew and Gentile alike, made one in Christ. This is you, this is me, it is everyone sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. Don't believe me? Look at verse 9. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes. That's the color of victory in Revelation. Clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. Palm branches were waved in victory after warfare by the Israelites. Victory. And crying out with a loud voice, salvation, or we could say victory, belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. You keep reading and all of heaven joins in with a sevenfold doxology to praise the perfect victory of our God. Do you see what's happening here? In, in verse 4, John heard you see that he didn't see the 144,000 he heard the number of the sealed 144k and in verse 9 when he looks he sees a multitude that no one can number census impossible John had heard about an army in battle formation. Now he sees victorious martyrs emerged from battle in worship and adoration before the throne. John had heard about Jews from every tribe. Now he sees a multitude, just like was promised to Father Abraham back in Genesis. He sees a multitude from every nation, tribe, people, in language. Where has John experienced something like this before? Where he hears one thing and looks and sees another. Revelation chapter 5. John heard about the lion of the tribe of Judah, a long awaited military Messiah who would lead his people to conquer. But when he looks, he sees a lamb standing as slain, conquered through being killed. And now in Revelation 7, John hears about the 144,000 full army of God's chosen people in battle formation. But when he looks, he sees a multitude of martyrs from every nation. 
Revelation, we've seen it do this before, it's doing it yet again, it announces something to John that he hears. It announces it in Old Testament imagery. But when he looks and sees, its fulfillment is revealed to him in the most surprising of ways. These visions are parallel to one another. Do you see that? He hears in chapter 5 about the military leader, the lion of the tribe of Judah. In chapter 7, he hears about that lion's army. It begins with the tribe of Judah because it's his army. 144,000. But what he actually sees is the lion who's conquered as a slain lamb. And what he actually sees are his people who conquer in the same way. By following him. Revelation 13, excuse me, Revelation chapter 7 and verse 13. Then one of the elders addressed me saying, Who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. These are the ones who've made it to the end. They've come out of the last days of the church age. The days of great tribulation. That, that phrase is not describing a time far off in the future. It's another way of describing the church age. The days in which the four horsemen ride on their four winds. Those are the days, the great tribulation that these believers were sealed to go through. And they've done that. The Apostle John himself talks this way about the church age. You go all the way back to Revelation chapter 1 and verse 9. And this is what John said to us. He said that he himself is our brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom. This this multitude that we're seeing in chapter 7 is all of those who have persevered through these days faithfully clinging to Christ even if it cost them their life. They're portrayed to us as martyrs. This does not mean, this vision does not mean that every Christian ever is a literal martyr who dies for their faith. That didn't even happen to the Apostle John as far as we know of. But I do think this vision is indicating that every Christian does lose their life to Christ. We do deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow Him. Our life is sacrificed in order to cling to the greatest treasure who is Christ. And we follow Him even if it does cost us our physical life. We cling to Christ because we believe Psalm 63 and verse 3 when it says His steadfast love is better than life. This multitude is the sealed army of the Lamb who have conquered by following Him. They're described this way in Revelation 12.11. They have conquered by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even to death. They love Christ more. He's worth more. He's their treasure. That's why Revelation 14 and verse 4 says, they follow the Lamb wherever He goes. Do you know where He goes, Shades? He goes to a cross which turns out to be the very place of conquering. Verse 14 said they have washed their robes and made them white, the color of victory. They've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Through the cross they have conquered. Through the cross of Christ. That's the way they experience victory. The same way He experienced victory. Through the cross they have conquered, for through the cross Christ bore their sin and the wrath that it deserved. They are covered in His blood, so that when they collide with His love, there is no wrath for them. They are sealed, protected by His power, for they are His own possession. Therefore, they can stand in His presence. Who can stand? That's, that's the question that the rebels who face God's wrath ask. And they try to cover themselves with anything that they can, asking, who can stand? Answer, those sealed from the wrath of God, for they worship the Lamb and are covered by His blood. They can stand in His presence. They've washed their robes. 
in the blood of the Lamb. Verse 15 says, therefore, they are before the throne of God. They stand before Him. Who can stand? They can. Because they've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence. Who can stand in the end? Those covered by the blood of the Lamb. In other words, shades, those who put their faith and trust in Jesus. Those who treasure Him more than their own life. That's what biblical faith is. It is a treasuring, a loving of Christ. He is the greatest treasure. He is my joy. They will stand before the throne of God as a kingdom of priests. That's, that's the language we get here in verse 15. This is priestly language. White robes made pure by sprinkled blood. That's, that's what the priest had to do. That's what the priests wore. And they will serve Him in His temple day and night. That's what the priests did. Now we serve Him. What does that serving look like? It looks like worship. It looks like enjoying His presence forever. Verse 15 said, He will shelter us with His presence. Literally, He will tabernacle over us. When we get to Revelation chapter 21 and verse 22, we're going to see that in the new heavens and earth, there is no temple, there is no tabernacle for the Lord God Himself is our temple. It's His presence. When we're told that we serve in His temple day and night, we serve in His presence. He shelters us with His presence. And Psalm 16.11 says that in His presence there is fullness of joy. At His right hand are pleasures forevermore. Full joy forever. Verse 16 and 17 give us a glimpse of this full joy forever. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and He will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is what it looks like to serve our God. Our serving is just as upside down as our conquering. We conquer by losing our lives for Christ. It's upside down. It's counterintuitive. We conquer by losing our lives for Christ. And here we serve by receiving life from Christ. We are sheltered. We are fed. We are protected, shepherded, guided, comforted. We serve by finding everything we need. All of our joy, full joy forever in Jesus. That's us serving God because that's what glorifies Him for the treasure that He is. When we cling to Him and say, You're my treasure. You're the one who satisfies my soul. You're my joy. Your joy in the glory of God shows forth the glory of God. It glorifies Him. We serve, we worship by finding our joy, our satisfaction in Him forever. We're sheltered, fed, protected, shepherded, guided, comforted. But Shades, I'm left asking the question, how are we going to make it until then? Because if I'm honest right now, I don't feel fed. I hunger and thirst for righteousness in this world. If I'm honest right now, I don't feel sheltered. The, the scorching heat of suffering seems to be burning us up. Right now, my tears have not been wiped away. They seem to be constantly streaming down my face. So how, how? How are we? It's just, we've been sealed so that we can stand. Who can stand? We can. Sealed by the presence of God. How are we going to make it till then? Not in our power, Shades. We've already seen the answer to this question. Not in our power, but by the power provided through the seal of the Holy Spirit of God. Shades, hear this truth this morning from what we've seen in the Word. You are sealed by the Spirit of God. You are sovereignly 
sealed as God's own protected possession. He has put his name on your forehead as a promise that you will be a priest in his presence forever. And nothing can take that promise from you. It's protected, sealed. No pandemic or politician can take that from you. No suffering or sorrow can steal it. Not even death itself can separate you from it. And the Spirit uses that promise, shades, the promise that we are God's protected possession. He uses that promise to empower our perseverance. This is how. This is how we're going to make it to the end. Power is provided through a promise. Shades, let the Spirit wield the promises of this Word in your life to empower you to persevere. Promises like Jude 24, which says that God is able to keep you. Keep you. God is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy. God is able to do this. He's able to keep you from stumbling, to bring you all the way home into His presence with great joy for you forever in His glory. It's a promise. Sealed. Promises like 1 Peter 1 and verse 5, which says that your faith is being guarded, kept by God. Your faith, you feel like it's going to falter? It's being guarded, kept by God's power. Fuel your faith. Let the Spirit empower you to persevere with promises like Luke 21 and verse 16, where Jesus says, even if you are put to death. Listen to this. This is the words of Jesus. Even if you are put to death, not a hair on your head will perish. Work that one out. Even if you're put to death, not a hair on your head will perish. Do you see the kind of protection that Jesus is promising right there? That even if we perish, we're protected? Even if we suffer, we are sealed. Even if we are slaughtered like sheep, Romans 8 says, that we are more than conquerors even in the midst of all the trial and all the tribulation. We are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Shades, hear that promise. It is a promise that you are God's protected possession. That doesn't eliminate your persevering. It empowers it. This doesn't eliminate our persevering. I'm God's protected possession, Jonathan. Sealed. Definitely going to make it home. Cool. Check out. Do whatever I want not persevere. That's not what the sealed do. They follow the Lamb wherever He goes. Because the seal is the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. These promises don't eliminate our persevering. They empower it. The Spirit... I want you to see the mechanics of how this works. This is how I live my life. With the Word of God open before me, I believe that the Spirit takes the promises of God's Word and uses those, wields it like a sword, to empower us to persevere. This is what empowers you to cling to Christ even if it costs you your life. You've got a promise. You still get full life forever in Him. You've got a promise. That's sealed. That's done. It's almost like someone said it is finished. You're gonna make it. You're gonna make it to the breaking of that seventh seal. Revelation chapter 8 and verse 1. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of all the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar, threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake.
the day of the Lord finally comes. Christ comes in thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. He comes as an answer to all of your prayers. Every time you utter your kingdom come, your will be done. All of those prayers from all of the saints throughout all of time have been rising before the throne of, the God, of God like incense. And the day is coming when they will be answered. That's the image here, the symbolism here. The fires stoked upon the altar of prayer will have their burning, purifying effect and bringing about a new creation. When that angel takes the fire from the very prayers of God's people and throws them to the earth, it's like the answer to those prayers that you have prayed for Christ's return and here He comes. That day, seal 7 says, will come. But did you notice it's not immediate? Even when seal 7 is broken, we don't immediately get the second coming. First, we get silence. Do we not feel the silence of heaven right now? Like all of our prayers, day after day, every prayer for justice to be done, for God's kingdom to, be, to come, for, for all wrongs to be made right, for all things to be made new. Does it not feel like no one is answering? Like the response to our prayers is silence. The shades. Seal number seven reminds us that it is precisely in the midst of heaven's silence that our prayers are being heard. And that silence won't last long. Only about half an hour to God. And then the appointed hour will come. The hour that's used throughout Revelation and the rest of the New Testament to refer to the second coming of Christ. Silence for half an hour is meant to say it's right around the corner. Silence won't last long, and then the return of Christ will come. As 2 Peter 3.9 reminds us, the Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but he's patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. He delays until the number of his servants is complete. Until all 144,000 of that countless multitude from every tribe, nation, tongue, people, until they all come to him, then he will come again. Will you be able to stand in His presence in the end? Because you've been covered by the blood of the Lamb. Will you be able to make it until then? Because you're sealed, sovereignly sealed at His protected possession, empowered to keep on clinging to Him.